2: Hello, Liturgy
0: Guys. Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners.
1: I think that's the first time that uh you've jumped the gun and and uh, didn't let Jesse.
0: You know what the difference uh, is? I've started yeah. drinking coffee again. Coffee talk oh, will oh, now boy. be full and real. It'll be like the uh chrism mass of liturgy guys discussion. Oh, Everyone, will, guys, be Everyone guys will be there. You guys
1: still full. do coffee talk?
0: We haven't we, done one in a while. Hey, let's do it, Jesse. <laughs>
2: It it depends on what time of year it is and whether or not Dennis has started drinking coffee again.
0: And whether or not Jesse's had a baby.
2: Yeah, that too. Uh, Those are lots of variables there. And uh, hey, if you're back on coffee, it's your responsibility to let me know so that we can do that.
0: Well, consider yourself notified. Consider yourself served.
2: We're talking about um, liturgy of the word today. But before we get into (laughs) some of the general instruction stuff. Chris, you got some uh, quizy, quiz, quiz? Yeah, quizy, quiz, quiz. Yeah,
1: well, all right. So remember, our our project here is to kind of walk through the Mass according to the books as reformed by the Council in line with tradition to see how they should be celebrated in such a way that uh, they can be truly nourishing. Looks like, uh, anyway, so... we fin We finished up with the... uh, We did some preparatory podcasts, and then we walked through the introductory rites, and now we're up to the Liturgy of the Word. So I thought just... um, before we actually get to the general instruction paragraphs for the order of mass, just to kind of get the gears turning. Which on the edition
2: of the Autoramus Bulletin is this in? Just curious. Not that I have a uh, webpage it.
1: no, you will not find these. An- so this is just kind of a mini quiz. All so right. why don't we start with you, Jesse? True or false? The readings for the Sunday and weekday masses rotate every three years. True. Oh, wait. I'm on the edge of my seat. True. I'm going to say true. That's false. Uh, <laughs> the Sunday readings, the Sunday readings rotate every three years. The weekday readings the rotate every two, every two years. Yeah. That
2: does confuse me, the one the A B C and the one, two.
1: Oh yeah. What year are we in now? Well the year twenty twenty two. Yeah. So what, two. what cycle, A, B, or C?
2: I don't know. I know we're in the year two.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, because the, the weekdays, uh, they match the um, even odd, depending on the year you're in.
2: I'm going to say year A.
1: Yeah, that's wrong too. I'm yeah. going to say year B or C. This might be the nerdiest piece of liturgical trivia you have ever heard. So if you add together the digits of the year, two plus zero plus two plus two, you get six. And then you divide by three. And if it's a remainder of one, it's year A. If it's a remainder of two it's year B. And if there's no remainder, like this year, it's year C. Wow. That's, Isn't that crazy? That's too hard to remember. No, oh, it's rem, so easy. Oh,
2: remainder. Okay. That was confusing me. So okay.
0: six divided by two is three.
2: <laughs> so you're telling no, you me that there, the are l- there are liturgists out there that are trying to figure out which cycle we're in, and they're like, okay, carry the one, and... Uh,
1: uh, Pi, got- square root of Pi. <laughs> So when when so in the liturgical year three thousand seventeen, what cycle will that be in? Three,
0: 3
1: plus, plus one, four plus, plus one, plus 7, 7, 7. 11 7, seven, eleven divided by three. By 2, oh, by three, three. Year is B. 3 oh, remainder is two. So yeah. it's year B. Yeah. So year B. Wow. Anyway, pretty weird, right? So, Man. but this is why. Why do we have all this? What What kind of cycle were the readings on? One year cycle. Before, one year cycle. Yeah. That made the math day. easy. That's that's for sure. Anyway. Were they yeah, longer
2: readings though? Cuz you're supposed to do is the goal to do all of the the scripture in a specific amount of time?
1: No. No, I don't think so. This is see this is one of the things that the council said it this is in Sacrosanctum Concilium number 51 that a uh let's see how do they word it. Um the treasures of the Bible are to be opened up more lavishly. So that richer fare may be provided for the faithful at the table of God's word, in this way a more representative. So the opposite. Portion.
2: So it ex- it expanded
1: the amount. Oh, of the big time! Okay, big, 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 big time! Yeah.
0: And we had all these nice propers that went with the gospel readings, and then we all of a sudden had to have new ones, right? And all kinds of stuff became complicated.
1: Well, that's true. Uh, there was uh, it was not without uh, its problems, right? So you used to have, say, an introit that would go along with. Fifth week of Easter or something like that. Uh, but when the reading was all the same, the, all the text worked t- better together. But now that intro may or may not match up with, say, the gospel or the other text. But in any case, Dennis. Yes. Sunday, January 23rd, 2022, observed which special day?
0: Well, I have my handy dandy liturgical disc calendar right here. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, <laughs> I mm-hmm. cheater. I will, yes. I will totally cheat. <laughs> yes, January 23rd,
1: yes, was the Word of God Sunday and also Ecumenical yes. Sunday. Yes, yes, yes. So, this is a celebration that uh, I guess Pope Francis inaugurated two or three years ago. There was, I don't remember the name of the letter that he wrote, but he established right because the the Feast of the Conversion of Saint Paul is January twenty fifth. So I think it's the Sunday that's closest to that is a celebration of the Word of God. Yeah, Jesse. Here's another true or false. The Book of the Gospels ought to be carried out at the end of Mass. I'm going to say false. That's true. That's correct. It is false. <laughs> that is yeah, so true. The, true. That, either, that is either, false.
2: The, <laughs> the deacon,
1: or if, if there is no deacon, can a can a lay person, can a lay reader bring in the Book of the Gospels?
2: Is this that's it's Dennis's turn to answer a question? <laughs> or is that a
1: follow up for Jesse? Uh, <laughs> either way. I would say
2: that It's a common lay, question, actually. A lay person could do it.
1: Yes, a lay person could bring in the book of the gospel. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anybody yeah, can touch so, the gospels these days. Yeah. Man. Well, what does the bishop do after the the reading of the gospel, speaking of touching he the, kisses book of the, gospels? the book of the gospels? Well, it? all of them kiss he, it. He
2: does the sign of the cross with the book of the gospels. Right. Oh,
1: right? Yeah. He gives a benediction with the book of the gospels in a very similar way that he would uh, with the blessed sacrament. Yeah. Uh let's see. On Sundays, uh Dennis Wait, can I
2: have a question about that actually? Yeah. So there's always this think- this distinction um between uh, scriptum verbum and, uh, uh, sorry, verbum domine and scriptum domine, right? So we use the word of the spoken word for that translation, not the written word. And so I've I've always thought that, like, if a deacon reads the gospel and elevates the, go- the book of the gospels and says the word of the Lord, that's confusing because we're assuming that it's the, the written word of the Lord, not the spoken word of the Lord. But if a bishop is holding or elevating the book, is that, does that,
1: is that confusing?
2: Mm, mm.
1: Well, even if the bishop were reading the gospel, which he probably wouldn't, but I suppose there are occasions where he would, he wouldn't lift the book of the gospels to say the word of the Lord either. So that benediction with, uh, with the benedictio, with the good word is... Uh,
2: it's a separate act. Yeah. That's what you're separate, saying. Okay, got it.
1: it. Yeah. Dennis, on Sundays, the liturgy of the word ends with... A, the gospel, B, the homily, C, the creed, D, the universal prayer, E, the collection. (laughs) What concludes the liturgy of the word on a Sunday? Darn it. That's a good question. Uh, That is a very
0: good question. Um, Because you would assume that it would be after the gospel and maybe after the homily because you're talking about the word.
2: But Chris is wily. He doesn't think that
0: way. I know. Wiley e. Carstodi. (laughs) Um... I well the creed is there and the offertory is, begins the liturgy of the Eucharist. So the question is, does the creed have its own little zippity doo or is it the end of the liturgy of the word? I will take a risk, Chris. There's a branch, mm-hmm. limb, and I'm gonna go out on it. It ends with the Creed.
1: No. Oh, no. universal prayer. Universal prayer. Tiny. Oh, yeah. yeah. In some ways the the universal prayer we'll get we'll get to this later on. This is where the the faithful exercise their priesthood in interceding for the world. That's what a priest does is intercede. What uh, some have said is that the universal prayer is to the liturgy of the word. What the reception of communion is to the liturgy of the Eucharist. It's kind of the high point of each, right? So it kind of terminates in I like that. That's great. Yeah, and the faithful um Exercising their their priesthood, I'll say more about this in a little bit too. So it is, and in fact, this was one of the other um, things. This is Sacrosanctum Concilium. Uh, let's see, fifty two, or no, fifty three. Especially on Sundays and feasts of obligation, there is to be restored after the gospel and the homily the common prayer or the prayer of the faithful by this prayer in which the people are to take part intercession is made for the church civil authorities so on and so forth. So yeah that's that's one of the things that uh, is likewise restored. Do you remember how the sort of the liturgy of the word or what's it called in the uh, us us antiquior is uh, the mass concluded? of the catechumens? Yeah what happens after the creed? Uh they they get set out, right? They go away. The catechumens. No 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 but but I mean what if you what if you're going to stay? What's the priest do after the creed? I don't know. I've, I have to pay attention next time I go to whatever it's called now. Yes, you should. He turns around, and he says, "Dominus vobiscum," and you respond, "Huh?" I oh, know. spiritu tuo." spiritu tuo. Okay, tua. and then he says, "Oremus," and then he turns back around and prepares the altar. That "Oremus," as I understand it, is precisely where the bidding prayers which is actually what the order of mass calls them, the bidding prayers. That's where the prayers of the faithful had been before they were uh, removed. In any case. All right. Uh, Jesse, name two attributes of a good lector.
2: A predisposition to the text. So they have prepared and read the text okay. beforehand. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And a well-toned and
1: exercised uh, mind. <laughs> yeah. I think it was. Wait, was I? Oh, there's, there's a number of answers. Um, I don't know if it was Monsignor Mannion, who I think told me this once the uh, slap method of uh, reading, slowly, lovingly, articulately, and prayerfully. Slap method of, of reading. But it's one of those things I remember for 25 years now. Dennis, what's a few attributes of a bad reader?
0: Uh, A mumbler mumbler would not be good Articulating consonants and fricative sounds would be good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hiding, not hiding, but becoming invisible to the meaning of the text So you don't make it about your emotional expression of the word of God But just important in a sense that you're excited that the word of God is being proclaimed But it's not about Mm -hmm. you, you're
1: like an icon You become invisible Mm -hmm. to the word Mm, Anything else? Well, there's lots of things, but I again, the, the whole point of this is just to kind of get the gears turning. So maybe I'll ask one more. I think
2: po- posture is a big part of it too. You know, it you is yeah. the way you carry
1: yourself. Yeah, even a lot of lecturers ask, "What are you supposed to do with your hands while you're reading?" I mean, do you follow
2: you follow? Along with your you figure? put your finger around <laughs> the word <laughs> and you say, "The word of yeah. the Lord." <laughs>
1: so, what do you do with your eyes? How much eye contact is the right amount? Is you should have some. Is Too much. You should memorize the
2: reading and stare at the person (laughs) in the front
1: pew. That's right. So uh, let me ask you one more. Uh, Let's see. This is uh, back to you, uh, uh, Jesse. Uh, True or false, uh, my mass obligation counts as long as I arrive by the offertory? Ha, ha, ha.
2: We've talked about this The age-old question. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's what people really want to know.
2: gosh. I am gonna say, I'm gonna say,
1: I'll say true, even though
2: I don't like it.
1: True. Yeah. The answer is there's no answer. The church doesn't take a position no, on that to. anymore. It's not, you I'm gotta saying, be right. kidding me! No, no, oh, no, I'm not kidding But you've heard that before, you're trick, right? You're it, tricking me. <laughs> you the gospel. Guessing. You had to read the gospel. Right? Isn't that what we, you've heard that before that, right? Yeah. You know, long and short of it is you could basically miss all of the liturgy of the word as long as you get there for the liturgy of the Eucharist and then your obligation counts. Well... Uh, moral theologians may have said that once upon a time. The church doesn't say that uh, anymore. But, you know, it does speak to that sort of caricature, doesn't it? That, you know, Catholics have sacraments and uh, Protestants have the Bible and, you know, neither really cares about and the it's other. The
2: fu- it's a false question because you're asking what's the least amount that you can do to get the most, out. you know what I mean, to be valid. And that's kind of a wrong way of looking at
1: it. Yeah. But I think, you know, as we, I'm going to switch down to kind of you know, trying to lay out sort of a theology of the liturgy of the word, and you know what? I hope this I hope this quiz was a good sort of introduction. Maybe it helped us realize that you know, even though you've every single mass you've been to almost your entire life, that there's things that you don't notice or uh, maybe don't think about so much, um, and that this this does represent a change from what had taken place prior to the council, and in large part, what takes place in celebrations of the extraordinary form or Usus Antiqui, or whatever it is, uh, and even you know, even when you were, if you were to read uh, Traditioes Custodes, which has kind of got, was kind of the basis for this, or the uh, Dubia that followed it, there's this big question about, you know, what's to be done now with the readings in celebrations of the uh, let's call it the extraordinary form. Do you know what the what the motu proprio and the Dubia say?
0: Well, they want you to use the current translations of the lectionary, right? That
1: yeah, I think what it has in mind, well, again, isn't it, if, if you were to, to go to an extraordinary form mass six months ago, I guess, well, the readings be proclaimed in in, in Latin? And if then they're proclaimed read at all.
0: They'll just be whispered up at the high altar most uh, of the time okay. in a low mass. And then they might, after that, read them again, but they don't have a gospel procession and they don't say, the Lord be with you. It's just a mere mm. helpful translation and not, in my mind, a proclamation in in low yeah. mass most of the time.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know how many uh, of those ritual elements, uh, if any of them, would have changed. But I think now, if I'm reading this right, is that the there still seems to be some questions about this vota proprio. But uh, it's that I don't think they're proclaimed at all in Latin. It's just a, a vernacular proclamation. And again, because the, the, the selection is actually in the Missal, you would have to go to a uh, duly approved... Translation, I don't know the N A B R E or whatever it is, and then you would have to read out of that selection from the uh, from the Bible. The yeah. the the dubious is you're not to publish sort of a another set of lectionaries that would accompany the uh, extraordinary form. So, you but it's what, it's a question today. What is interesting,
0: Chris, and I am going to be writing a little article for Adoremus Bulletin on this when I get around to it on the 1958 instruction on liturgy, music, a sacra Sacra Liturgia, which gave permission to use the English readings at the Uyusus hmm. Antiquiori in 1958, which is why they just brought that into Sacrosanical Chilean because it was already settled matter hmm. five years earlier. And now we think, oh, Pope Francis is being big meanie by making us actually <laughs> proclaim the scriptures in our own language. You can wonder if Pius Twelfth should have done it, but it's not really a novelty if you hmm. uh, see it in the light of history.
1: Oh, some, there's some hermeneutics for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, you know, the, the rest of this podcast, Then let's just kind of try to lay down uh, some, um, I don't know, like a theology of what happens in the Liturgy of the Word. See, and then this will serve as the foundation and shed light on all these little rubrical uh, details that happen. And we'll go through that uh, in the next uh, couple of podcasts. But there's a number of ways, I think, that you can try to oh establish or understand what's happening in the Liturgy of the Word. And I've got a handful of them here that I thought I'd roll out for you. Maybe you've never thought of this question before. Maybe what's happening in the liturgy of the word? I mean, what's the, what's the theological substance that uh, led the council fathers to, well, you know, they wrote another document on the liturgy of the word, right? Uh, why is this uh, such an important thing? So that's what I hope these can answer. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one. Uh, in no particular order, is that the liturgy of the word was in some ways prefigured in the Old Covenant. So, for example, there's, a, I think what uh, what the books call these is um, a kahal, Q-A-H-A-L, kahal Yahweh. Yes. Okay. Is that
2: what I'm it gonna is? I'm going to write that down on my Scrabble word list just one <laughs> that's, second. That's right. <laughs> As you know, I've been
0: reading <laughs> yeah. Jean Hanee's book, The Divine Liturgy, and he talks about that somewhere that I can't. Oh, actually, on page 47. Wow. It was an old Jewish assembly of the faithful um, prayer. It was a convocation of the people to hear the word of God and to give an official response in a ceremony. But then they accepted it with jubilation, joy, and prayer and then renewed the covenant. In other words, what we would call the Eucharistic prayer.
1: Yeah. well, In a sacrifice then. Yep. Dennis, that is – People won't believe us out there. The, the few, you know, our moms who are listening to this out there won't believe that we didn't. We this did not up plan before. this. It's our connected this is liturgical exactly brain. exactly it. So and this- now I want
2: to call our our good friend and colleague Perry Kahal and see. Hey, was is there an <laughs> etymology there between your last <laughs> and name? The,
1: there's no U in it. It's just Q A H A L. But this, this order, which Dennis and uh, Jean Hany is describing, is sort of fourfold. Number one is the people are summoned, or they're convoked, they're As called together.
0: As in ecclesia, you might say? Yeah, called, yeah.
1: Called e- ecclesis is to, to call out. Mm-hmm. Number two is to hear the word of God. Number three is for the people to give their assent. And number four is to ratify this agreement with uh, a sacrifice. Yep. So for example, when the people come out of Egypt, uh, God, one, calls them, well, first he calls them out of Egypt, but then he calls them to the base of Mount Sinai. Two, what does he do? Is he comes down with you know the law that God has given him and he reads it to the people. Number three, the people say, amen, amen, all that the Lord has said we shall heed and do. And then number four, rising early the next morning, uh, Moses erects uh, an altar with 12 pillars and they offer this sacrifice. Wait, did you say 12
0: pillars? Like columns or people in scripture?
2: Okay. Yes. Anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is it, this, great. I love it, how this is,
2: uh, <laughs> th- 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 like this is blowing my mind right hmm. now.
1: Well, this pattern, it, it doesn't just happen there. It, it uh, When they dedicate the temple, apparently it's there. When they re-consecrate or rededicate, the temple is there. Um, the one place the where it. Uh, it doesn't quite match. Uh, Actually, Dennis, if you go back to, you'll probably know this for uh, other reasons, if you go back to Mass on Sunday the 23rd, I don't know, is that the second or third Sunday? It's the first reading is from uh, uh, the prophet Nehemiah, chapter eight, and why I think Dennis would know this is that when a church is dedicated, this is the mandatory first reading at the dedication of a church, it's the only option. And what happens, so this is uh, all the people have, uh, they've just come back from the Babylonian captivity and they rediscover the scrolls. And so Ezra, the scribe, so it says, all the people gather together. What does it say? Uh, They gather together as one man uh, in the open space before the water gate and Ezra, the scribe comes out. Second, Ezra, the priest uh, brought the law before the people and he read out from the book until midday. Third, all the people with their hands raised high answer, amen, amen. But there's no number four. The sacrifice doesn't happen that day. It's only going to be fulfilled when Christ comes. But anyway, this, the, this first point then, this Old Testament kahal is a foreshadow to what we do today in the mass. God calls us together, basically at the introductory rites, to proclaim his word. The people give their assent with the creed. All that God has said, we shall heed and do, and then we ratify this with a uh, sacrifice. So, this what we do today with the liturgy of the word is uh, a, a constitutive part of this foreshadowing that had taken place uh, yes. for centuries. Because and and except for was, we we
2: know that Christ is the integral part in every one of those through the new covenant. Yeah, he is I mean, he is the he does come down. God comes down Himself. He is the law and he is sacrificed.
1: Well, he is. And even that calling people together, only a man standing in persona Christi capitis can be the, the sacramental voice of Christ. And then the word is contains the word of the Trinity. The words of the liturgy of the word have within them the word of the Trinity. All right, all this stuff. Yeah, Christ is the meaning of, of all of this. But All right, so there's one. Any questions about that?
0: Just want to add the Apostles' Church, they're yeah. the new chosen people. They hear the word of God. You were talking about Nehemiah, like reading till midday. You can imagine how that. We, mm. we complain about an eight minute homily. It's like all day long <laughs> you're standing there. But they're so excited, like, woo! And then they seal the new covenant again. And the true great sacrifice is, is Christ, who is the new mm-hmm. victim. and. John Honey makes the point that Passover comes in here, too, because the victim is completely eaten. It's a family meal. So the meal thing is real, um, but it's a sacrificial meal, not a casual thing. And so all these prefigurings of Christ all show up at the the uh, of the word, as we call it now, is part of that
1: preparation. Well, let's go to a second one that's related to this, Dennis. And this, too, is something that I think you'd have some insight in. That's the relationship of the synagogue to the temple. Yes. where. It, it, it seems like, is this, I, if, if it is Cardinal Ratzker, I'm sure he wasn't the first one. Maybe this is uh, Louis Bouyer and others around them that the masses we, I don't know, the, have come to celebrate it is kind of a coming together of synagogue and its liturgy of the word. And I think even the, I could have stood to look this up before uh, the podcast, even the order of the readings and kind of its explanation parallels, I think, uh, uh, to I think to a quite similar degree, the liturgy of the word that we have now, right, including the Alleluia or the Hallelujah. Yeah, what's what's Hallelujah mean? Uh, hallel is uh, the Hallel praise. Songs. Yeah, praise. Oh, yeah, those it's God, songs. May God be
0: praised or praise God.
1: Yeah, Hallel Yahweh. Basically, yep. I think is what it is. And these were
0: chanted at the Passover meal, but they eventually came into synagogue worship uh, as well, including phrases like "It is." Right, meet and right, or right and just to praise Thee, bless Thee, whatever it sounds a lot like our uh, prefaces, right?
1: Yeah. So it seems like this this Mass that we go to now, uh, it it likewise has these roots that go back to the time of Christ and before Him, in what they were doing in the, sort of a liturgy of the word in the synagogue and the offering of the sacrifice in the temple. And in fact, the Catechism. Uh, has this rather long excerpt from uh, St. Justin Martyr, who is writing in about the year 150, right? So this is very early on. And this is uh, what Justin Martyr um, describes, okay? It says, on the day we call uh, the day of the sun, all who dwell in the city or the country gather in the same place. There's your call there. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits, When the reader is finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others, wherever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions and faithful to the commandments so as to obtain eternal salvation. And then when the prayers concluded, we exchange the kiss. This is the kiss of peace that in some rites, even today, come at this point. And then the water and the wine come up. So, but already in 155, Justin Martyr is describing basically what you did last Sunday when you went to mass. And its roots are this, apparently this synagogue uh, temple coming together. I
0: like that phrase memoirs of the apostles. I assume that's the gospels, right? <laughs> they write their memoirs. This is what happened. This is what happened to me. This is where it was. And uh, you know, in that, uh, what's that series that, that's on the uh, internet where it's the life of Christ? Is it called Chosen?
1: They have is uh, yeah, it
0: Matthew who's like talking to the Virgin Mary and asking him all these questions, asking her all these questions, like when was Jesus born? How did this happen? It's a very interesting thing to really think. Like someone had to say,
1: "How did this happen?" and uh, and write it down. Yeah, let's go to a let's go to another one, uh, liturgy and nourishment. Uh, so there's all this talk in the council documents, Sacrosanctum Concilium de Verbum Presbyterorum Ordinis. The last time you read that one, Jesse, the last time I read that one. Anyway, all these, uh, all, there's all this talk about uh, the table of God's word and the nourishment that the word of God provides. So this allegory, the two tables is everywhere. And so that the idea is, is that not only do you get nourishment when you eat the Eucharist, but you also receive nourishment when... When you bite your teeth, when you sink your teeth into the substantial word that is taking place at the mass, hmm. Don't, doesn't John eat the scrolls of th- here and there?
2: Like he, they eat, they eat <laughs> words. He does. <sometimes. laughs> he does. That's. I thought spin. it was a hostess cupcake. <laughs> hmm.
1: Well, it is rolled up, sort of like a. Uh, uh, a is that a ding dong? <laughs> Ring ding. Who knows? But yeah, so there is that story. I don't be disrespectful about this, right? There. So there's the story of um, right. John has this image of well, he goes to heaven, right? And the angel has the scroll, and he he does that very thing. He rolls it up and he tells him to eat it. And I think that's uh, something that I don't know. It's an image that comes to my mind when I'm actually paying attention at mass. But in the liturgy of the word, it is as if an angel from God. Um is, in fact, I heard this from Bishop Barron once. The, the, the term evangelize means basically what? Good angel or good message. So that prefix, "e" uh, and angelium, it's a good message. So the, the good messenger brings a good message and basically rolls it up and says, eat it. You know, sink your teeth into this, digest it, let it become a part of you. So that it transforms you. I mean, that's the type of. Um, my, let's see, Agnes, my Agnes, Jesse is in uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, isn't it? A, isn't it a, a, a Shakespeare character? It says that words are just air and tongue and teeth and sound. You know, no sooner do they do they come around and then they're gone. Well, this is not this type of word is not that word because the word of the liturgy, of the word is so substantial that it. Provides nourishment, sustenance, and new life,
2: and the and the homily is the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Mm-hmm. Should well, be. We'll oh, hope so.
0: yeah. <laughs> Teach, delight, like, persuade. Right, the three goals of mm-hmm. rhetoric, also for for the homily. But I I have honey on the brain. It, honey okay. honeyitis, I guess is what it could be. Um, this book that we we're just talking about. What's it called? The divine liturgy insights into his mystery. He makes the point that he, – and he, this guy, he's deceased now, but he was a professor in France of uh, comparative religion, which usually sounds like a bad thing because it's going to equate Christ with all the others. But this is not. He's talking about how all the others pre, um, precede Christ and explain Christ. But he says the liturgy can be broken into kind of three parts, penitential act, liturgy of the word, and liturgy of the Eucharist, and that these are the three stages of the way as in capital W-A-Y, which is not necessarily Opus Dei, but the way, as the early Christians called it, the different stages Opus of way. growth in holiness. I told you, Chris, but Jesse, do you know what they are? The blank way, the blank way, and the blank way? Isn't like the a- hard
1: way, the hardest way. Teresa of Avila. was not Teresa Avila associated
2: with this a lot?
0: The little way. That was Teresa of Lazio, it was the little <laughs> way. But that that's another way. You could have the, the fourth way, I suppose. The one that you get rid of all of your sins and you proclaim your unworthiness is the purgative way. It's okay. like how early beginners who want to grow in holiness, the first thing they have to do is give up their their sins and their faults and their laziness and all of that, and they purge or allow God to purge them from their distractions. The, yeah, we always are in all of them, um, even you know to the end of our lives on earth. Then the middle one is now that I – I can sit still long enough to listen to a podcast or read or whatever or do a holy hour is the illuminative way. That's where you get to know and understand. And so the uh, liturgy of the word, you could say, is in many ways the illuminative way. And then, of course, when you understand, you want to offer and ask. And so even the creed is a profession of that belief of what you've just been – by what you've just been illuminated. And then what happens next?
2: The imperative.
0: Yeah, the uh, unitive. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Now that I've purged myself of my distractions or been purged of my distractions, and now I understand I want to be one with God. And so you have this penitential, purgative, liturgy of the word, illuminative, and the liturgy of the Eucharist, unitive. I get to take the life and the body, blood, soul, divinity of the
1: Savior into
0: my very own self and become
1: him. See, but I think in all of these, you know, attempts at, uh, you know, laying the foundation of this liturgy of the word, you know, if Dennis, if what Hani says is right, you you can't go from purgative to unitive. <laughs> and right? you can't start at unitive. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- this is why, you know, I hope each of these attempts are really making the case for the liturgy of the word. And I don't mean just uh you know, so we can kind of look at preconciliar mass of the catechumens versus post-conciliar liturgy of the word. Although that's insightful. But I mean, I think that often, t- I don't know, you, you guys can speak for yourselves. I mean, oftentimes, you know, it's this, you have this, these nice songs at the beginning, it's pretty short. And then you just get to sit down and rest for a little while and, you know, try not to fall asleep. And then the real stuff starts to happen in the liturgy that goes, well, if, if you're thinking that way, uh, you're not thinking with the the mind of the church or, or with the council or with the tradition or with the, the revised book you, this, this liturgy of the word is so important for God's glory for your sanctification uh, for your illumination uh it's not this art it's it's been millennia in the works uh it's it's a true restoration and all of these things so there, there's there's so many merits to doing it right not just sort of accepting it but appreciating it and doing it right
2: Dennis, did you say that purgative is the like? Is that involved? Maybe the confidere and that like? Sure,
0: that would be the penitential act, right? First, you right, confess yeah. your sinfulness, then you ask for mercy, and and then when you get that mercy, you sing the Gloria. It doesn't sound too penitential, yeah. but it's actually part of the introductory uh, rites. It's a of good formula. Church. I like that. Yeah, you know that that book um, on music that I love also so much by Joseph Gillano called uh, "Voices and Instruments in Christian Music." He talks about the Kyrie being realization of your need for mercy, because without it, you die. And then when you get it, you're happy, right? Save me, Lord. Mm-hmm. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. You saved me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to you, right? And so this is a real like experience. And it can be in some ways of what baptism is. You, you die, but then you're rescued and you're happy and you praise God for rescuing you. And then now that you're all excited, who are you, Lord? Teach me about yourself. Who are you? And then you have the liturgy of the word, and then you say, yes, I get it. Uh, I believe. And then you ask for things and then enter into the
2: mysteries. So I have one kind of question to kind of sum all this up a little bit, but I'm sure you guys have all seen the the diagram of the mass and there's two, you know, peaks. And the first peak is the liturgy of the word and then it goes down and it goes up and it's the liturgy of the Eucharist. Right. But it sounds to me that it's less of like, you know, a, graph, a line graph in that sense, and more of a process. Does that sound fair?
0: Yeah, I think some of the old uh, missiles would have these diagrams where it's kind of rainbow shaped and the very top of the rainbow is oh, yeah, the, I have seen the that, reception, yeah. is the offering. And even receiving is already going down the rainbow a little bit. Um, but it's, you know, these days people want to try to equate the liturgy of the Eucharist with the liturgy of the Word. That's but what, I, yeah. That's I still think we at, have yeah. to say the liturgy of the Word is preparation and not the peak. And No, because it was often shortchanged before the council, sometimes people would do things like put the altar on the one side and the ambo on the other side to say they're equal. Without removing any of the importance of the liturgy of the word, I do think, Chris, let's see if you agree, that we have to say that the liturgy of the the word is a very important thing, but is preparation for the liturgy of the Eucharist. Is that right?
1: Well, it is. I mean, if you go back to that uh, that Kahal that we talked about, right? There's an order. It's not people are called together to celebrate the Eucharist and then hear what Gazd has to say. I mean, there's a certain order to that, that the liturgy of the word leads to the liturgy of the Eucharist. It, it culminates uh, in the sacrifice or, you know, Hani's paradigm that, you know, the illuminative has to come before the purgative. So there is, uh, I think there's a true sense where everything yeah, is leading the up to... Yes. Yes. Thanks. Um, yeah. So there's, um, no, I think you said it well that, you know, if, uh, for many, most, whatever, before the council, the liturgy, the word really just didn't have the the respect that, uh, uh, the church wanted it to have. Uh, th- there have been, you know, uh, aberrations on the other side, as if, you know, the two things, the Eucharist and the word, they're both Christ. I mean, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He is the word, but there's this, uh, this, special presence. I w- there, It says in the introduction of the lectionary... You can day, notice
2: how hard it is to talk about this without trying yeah, to like sound mm-hmm. like something that we're gonna say into dangerous yeah, territory. So yeah.
1: there, there's. It says something like in the introduction of the lectionary for Mass that the church has always venerated the the word of God as as well as uh, the blessed sacrament, even though uh, they do not receive the same worship or something like that. So... Yeah, it's um I don't remember what the exact words are, but what what we're trying to get to is I think just what the church wants us to, yeah.
0: to and all them. that marriage imagery that's in scripture. Think about yourselves, you know. First you have to call Kim, <laughs> Jesse, right? Who are you? There's something about Thanks you. for I, reminding me, I gotta, I you gotta to call, call her to call her. Yeah. It's, and it's then you important. get to know her, Domestic right? Matter. And then you commit to each other in this kind of ceremonial ritual and in many ways, I guess die to each other, right? Like you have to give up a lot to live with somebody and the unitive comes uh, later. And of course the produce new life, right? This is how, how it works. So go glorify the Lord by your life as you could say about all your little kids. right? Yeah. And there was, there th- was
2: a written word to that component for me too. I, I never told you the guys this, but from the day that we got engaged till the day we got married, I wrote her a letter every day about what we were preparing to do and how I felt that like particular a 10 day, day
0: engagement. Yeah. Huh?
2: Yeah, I kept it real <laughs> short. I didn't did not really want to do a lot of writing. 140 and, characters. Uh, yeah. Days 30 through 40 were pretty much the same letter just copy paste yeah. yeah, there you but, go. All right, well, well we, we haven't even really yeah.
0: talked about the liturgy word and yeah. the
1: missile yet, but uh, yeah.
0: important stuff here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot more we could say, but let's uh, I think we're going to have to wrap this up and then we'll actually turn to the to the liturgy to the rituals that accompany that and Chris, what? It. In terms
2: of process? For our podcast. What comes after this part? You, I, can't, I can't remember. This is where we what have do we the unit,
0: uh, united with our listeners. Good question,
1: Jesse. <laughs>
2: good That's right, question. a question. Yay. You said the magic word. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mail call.
0: Oh, Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In
1: my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning.
2: All right, we have a question this week from Martha. Martha says, hello, Liturgy Guys.
0: Yo, Martha. Yo, Martha.
2: Uh, Martha says, Hello, there's you guys. I really enjoy your podcast. I have a question about entering the pew before mass. I see some people will just genuflect and then enter the pew, but others will genuflect and do the sign of the cross before they enter the pew. Which one is more proper? Hmm. <laughs>
0: I usually say something arbitrary, and then Chris swoops in and says something precise. So let's do it backwards this time. No, 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 since I don't have the precision, let's keep it in that order. (laughs) Well, first of all, genuflecting is what you do when the tabernacle is in the chapel, right? And the sign of the cross, properly speaking, is not part of the genuflection, nor is it expected when you enter a church. Now, it speaks well of someone's good Catholic sensibilities that when something holy happens, they want to make the sign of the cross. But I would say you don't need to make the sign of the cross at all on the way into the church. You make the sign of the cross at the beginning of mass or whenever (laughs) mass begins. Hmm. But, oh, I got a hmm from Chris. But if uh, you're going to do both, I would say it's just kind of sloppy to do them at the same time. Do one and then the other and not sure which order. But But you
2: do the sign of the cross with the holy water, right?
0: Yeah, you do that on the way in because that's the recalling of your baptism and anemnetically, hopefully remembering your baptism or remembering activating the powers of your baptism. So you've already done that. Making the sign of the cross during the, the um, genuflection seems to be not a thing that really is called for, but is pious. All right, that's my gut sense. Chris, genius, <laughs> law-abiding citizen. No,
1: I think I mostly agree with you. I, I don't think anywhere in a liturgy does a is a minister called to genuflect and make the sign of the cross at the same time. But I think at the point that you're entering in the church, that's a, that's has to do with, like you said, personal prayer, private prayer. And if, if that's how you pray, then there, I don't think there's anything that should discourage you from doing that. I think Dennis let, me is right. it, let me put this mm-hmm. lens
2: on it. Should, should I teach my kids to do it that way? Is it okay to do that that way?
1: Uh, let's see. Not that this is definitive. I don't teach my kids to do it that way, but if they did, I would want, I would, uh, I would want them to know why they're doing it. And if, if it was a a means to express and and foster their personal prayer, then I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But, uh. But it's a
0: good rule. If Chris's kids aren't taught to do it, don't, don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do it.
2: Yeah, yeah but his I kids aren't that. taught to bathe, so I guess that's—, <laughs> that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Martha, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, like how often do kids' uh, children are bathed, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you,
1: and God, God bless. bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end.
2: Our hosts are Chris Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis Big McNamara, and Jesse Y-O-Y-O-Weiler.
0: Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy, and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel
2: Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano.
1: Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflect. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat.
2: Our official rubrics
0: interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our
1: simplicity enforcer is Franz Siskin.
0: And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey,
2: Shrivam and Howe.
0: And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. Guys.